Hello and welcome to episode six of Gamers Without Borders. I am Patrick Mifflin alongside Teresa Sammons, Kayla Owen, and Filippo Dinolfo. And tonight we're going to be doing a deep dive into the PlayStation Classic. We've generally gotten the message across that this is the retro mini to have if you want just one device to do a lot of your retro gaming and you don't want to go up to that next step of, say, an SBC or purpose-built PC, the PlayStation Classic is really your best option. And so I felt it would be a, a good idea to take a deep dive into it and go over how it kind of stumbled out of the gate and went on to become the best retro mini on the market today. So I wasn't here for the... Um, early days of the system was watching some of the reviews that came out and they were very discouraging very. to say the least. But <laughs> at the same time, uh, once I started getting into modding retro minis and having them on hand to do a lot of my retro gaming, the PlayStation classic became an instant centerpiece of my entertainment center as a whole. And so yeah, let's get started. Um, the launch and the lead up to the launch were not great. <laughs> they were they were unmitigated disasters, really. Well, there was there were like glimmers of potential there because when you saw that initial teaser, it was like, oh, it really looks like a PlayStation, and those controllers look legit, and yep. now it's got HDMI, and it's going to be HD, and you know, it, it ticked all the right boxes at first, but <laughs> that quickly changed. Yeah, I um, I noticed something about that initial teaser that I didn't pick up on in the build-up to the release of the system, but I'll, I'll get to that later. So the game lineup was teased, and there were holes in it, and we talked about that on the Day Zero update when it was getting ready to roll out. But for a 20-game lineup, it's a really good mix of your defining PlayStation titles and stuff that's a little off the board that did a really good job of coloring the the overall experience of the system in for individual players. And so given the sample size, the the lineup did make quite a bit of sense. Yeah. But um yeah, it when it did land, there were substantial unforced errors on Sony's part. Yeah. And uh, I guess the one I kind of want to bring up is the fact that they used PCSX rearmed as the emulator core. Uh, that in and of itself isn't so bad, but somehow Sony managed to compile it in such a way that it ran like ass. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but one of the early things that people found out was that uh, if you plugged a USB keyboard into the second controller port, then you press the escape key, you got the PCSX menu. Yep. So it was, you know, one of the bugs that that particular emulator had, uh, at least that that branch of it, uh, which was fixed in the, the RetroArch core and subsequent versions, uh, was that the auto frame skip was weird. <laughs> and this is why a lot of the games, like uh, particularly R4, kind of ran like garbage <laughs> basically 
but you could actually fix that by going uh, into the PCSX menu and changing auto frame skip from auto to zero, which means just don't skip any frames, and yep. it ran fine. Funny how that works. Yeah. So it was really a case of like Sony didn't really put the legwork in to like configure it properly. And like the initial lineup and just the way the interface is presented, it's it doesn't look like the heart was really in it. And this is like really, really irritating to me, given the fact that Sony still employs Randy Linden, who mm-hmm. arguably knows the PlayStation hardware probably better than anybody uh well. Other than uh, <laughs> Ted Kudaragi, perhaps. Who isn't there uh, anymore. <laughs> he wasn't there anymore, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was the one who wrote the, the Bleem emulator. So yep. yeah, he also did that. Um, well, not great, but um, impressive port of Doom for the uh, SNES. It's just, just the fact that oh, that yeah. game even ran on the Super Nintendo was just, you know... A that was an achievement. Win. Yeah, so... Uh, but yeah, that was the, the big, one of the biggest problems is the performance just wasn't there. The other problem that uh, Sony ran into with their launch was uh, nine, for some reason, nine of the 20 games were PAL versions. And of course, all of the fighting games were PAL versions. So they ran slower. And that really boggles my mind because if you go back to that teaser, those were NTSC versions of those same games that they were advertising. So that's, oh, that is several layers of skeezy right there. Yeah, and I suspect that those those, uh, particular bits of game footage were actually running on actual hardware. So, yeah. Uh, but that was kind of the disastrous launch. I mean, they brought it in at a hundred bucks and the reviews started to come in and, uh, it was basically a matter of everybody was saying, yeah, for a hundred bucks, this is not worth the money. So we got a bunch of price drops and, uh, All the way down to like 30, right? Yeah. yeah. They, they also like were getting a little desperate and it was like, if you buy a PS4, you get a PS classic for free. They were doing that for a while. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I was getting pretty desperate for Sony there. And uh, I'll point out that if you do want one, get one now because they're not producing these anymore. The, what's, what's in the channel now is what's, uh, what's going to be you know, there. Oof. So, uh, yeah, because uh, basically like all of the SOCs and hardware that they chose were all discontinued stock. So they basically did the production runs that they did, and uh, that's it. So when they're gone, they're gone. Um, fortunately, they actually made a shit ton of these, so it's not particularly hard to find them right now. Yeah. They are starting to go up in price. Um, a couple weeks ago, they were around $70, $75. Now they're up in around 85 So that's probably just the holiday season taking effect, but I'm not sure if it's going to come back down as we as we head into the new year because that is when supply might actually start to flag and people know what it can do now. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, that is definitely something I'm going to be paying attention to because I would like to have at least a couple more on hand. Um, yeah. Better like, you know, pick them up while you can because you may not be able to for much longer. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Well, hopefully they do like a PS2 classic eventually, but 
<laughs> I don't know if the technology is where it needs to be for that to be marketable. Yeah. Well, it could be done. It's just, it probably would be pretty expensive to produce because you need a yeah. pretty hefty, you know, <laughs> pretty yeah. hefty board to be able to run it. Hmm. Yeah. And that's, and that would put the price at a, I mean, it would probably be cheaper to just remake the, the PS2 hardware. Yeah, actually it might be. Hmm. So, uh, so where do you want to go from the, uh, from the launch? Um, Let's go on, let's go down the homebrew uh, road and talk about how it kind of became the best mini from from that disaster of a launch. Okay. Well, uh, basically what ended up happening is what happens with a lot of these projects and minis that come out. It's like people see an opportunity to improve it and uh, they you know, get to work and figure out ways of uh, getting in there and writing their own, uh, you know, their own improvements and enhancements to it. You know, it wasn't, uh, it didn't take very long. I think it only took about a week for wow. somebody to actually yeah. uh, add, add a game to it. And from there, it just, you know, it got progressively more and more advanced. And uh, hardware was never the problem. No, no. The, the the PlayStation Classic it has a you know pretty decent little uh, system on a chip. It's got a, a gig of RAM. You know, it's a little bit more powerful than a Raspberry Pi three B plus. Yeah, so it, it's you know it's it's a capable little machine. It's just uh, maybe it just wasn't really configured properly. <laughs> so that's that's yeah. the big problem. And then yeah. as soon as people said, you know, like, hey, I, I really miss this game. That game reminded me of this. I want to play it. <laughs> of course, yeah. Homebrew is going to be happening. Yeah, and it, it started happening. You know, there were, like, hacks that allowed for running games off USB key or uh, all that fun stuff. They figured out how the Sony uh, uh, boot process worked uh, based on a USB 2 drive. You know, all of this stuff... Uh, uh, they figured it out just, you know, just by poking at it and stabbing it with some uh, <laughs> some logic probes, figuring out what's going on. You know, uh, the uh, the USB bus is wide open, so they were able to like figure out what was going in and out of it. Like, huh? Maybe if we intercept some of these calls, we can send our own data yeah. in there, and uh, that's exactly what happened. And they uh, they've now got. Uh, quite an advanced set of uh, modifications that you can add there. Like, uh, there's three basic packages. Uh, there's a couple of others that are a little less known, but the three that are most uh, used are uh, Project Eris, which uh, used to be called BleemSync, but got renamed for some reason. Uh, this is the one that we uh, typically use because it's yeah. probably right now the most feature-rich of them uh, in the features that it actually counts. Uh it's pretty easy to set up because it's got a nice desktop app that lets you add games and get all the data and stuff for, for them. So get all your art and uh, make your multi-disc queue files and the playlists that go along with them. So uh, it's fairly nice to, nice to work with. Um, you can also do something with the Project Eris UI that uh, a lot of people have wanted to do and I actually did this on mine, is uh, replace the original games on the on the system. Mm -hmm. 
I didn't go crazy with mine. What I just did was replace the nine uh, PAL versions with NTSC versions. So mm. uh, I kind of have the fixed uh, PlayStation Classic. And I probably still have a few, uh, maybe a couple of gigabytes of space left that I could could have put a couple of more games on there. But yeah. beyond that, uh, there is uh, AutoBleam, which is... Uh, very similar, only uh, its MO is that it will not touch the PlayStation Classics hard specifically want it to off of the US uh, theming support. So you can uh, you know, make your PlayStation Classic look uh, the way you want it to. Uh, they've added uh, you know, background music to the carousel, which is kind of nice because their whole UI is actually like scratch written. So that's UI impressive, actually. Wow. Yeah. Uh, they did make it look very similar for consistencies. It's, uh, you know, very different. Uh, a lot more powerful, a lot more flexible. Uh, one problem that I ran into with uh, AutoBleam is sometimes when you're add ga- adding games to it, uh, it kind of gets wrong. Uh, and there's not really a way to mm. correct for that. Uh, yeah. You have to basically add your own, uh, basically add your own entries into their database so that it will then get recognized. So it's kind of yeah, a little bit more hassle. Oh, than my LCD is trying to give me a stroke. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, because we're you know we're typically using CHD compressed images. Yeah, it really doesn't have any idea what to do with Ooh. those. Yeah, yeah. so. For the most part, it works fine if you're just using bin queues. Uh, but uh, yeah, for CHDs, it's a little weird. Uh, sometimes it will, like, if you get uh, Gran Turismo 2, for instance, that has the two arcade discs or uh, the uh, simulation disc. Uh, yeah, it will just, like, stack those as the same game, which makes it very difficult to actually whichever one you want. So, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, it's like little things like that. I'm sure the iron, those kind of niggle on point. Um, I think the but, the generally accepted best way to put GT2 on a PlayStation Mini is to just load the simulation disc. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know very many people that ever play that arcade disc anyway. So yeah, I didn't disc and didn't even bother with the arcade disc. So it was that. Uh, in general, I think Project Eris is a little bit better that way because you have a lot more control of how you want your games presented. Uh, you can choose, you can do folders, you have theme support, you can uh, you know, create uh, franchise sets if you want to, you know. So, yep. uh, yeah, it's it's very powerful, very nice. Uh, You've seen me go nuts with folders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're doing some folders on yours. Yeah. And like I've seen other people go even weird, even more crazy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, the last one uh, called Retro Boot, which is just basically the PS Classic will boot straight into RetroArch. Uh, yeah, just like uh, <laughs> do not pass go, do not collect uh, $200, <laughs> just... Go straight to retro. I mean, yay, simplicity, uh, but yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I like that method in terms of just you know, if you if you just very quickly want to get in there and play a couple of games, 
and uh, you know you don't have a huge flash drive to dedicate to it, and that's all you and you don't really want to touch the the PS Classic itself. Um, that'll work quite well, uh, especially since the uh, RetroArch version of PCSX Rear uh, is well the superior version because it's actually optimized. Uh, yes. Yeah. And it's it's not even it's not even subtle the difference. I, I don't know if you did much comparison, Pat, but yeah, trying to run uh, the NTSC Tekken three on the stock emulator and then switching over to the RetroArch Core was like a night and day difference. Uh, and that uh, RetroArch Core does have the ability to upscale, which makes it look even better. And the PlayStation Classic does have the extra horsepower under the hood to be able to do it. It's, so. it's a beast. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's those are the three basic hacks. Um, the one thing that I'll mention about uh, Project Eris, which uh, is something I really really like, uh, is that you can also add uh, Project Eris specific ports to uh, uh, the PlayStation Classic. So there are uh, standalone versions of PPSSPP that will run on it. There is a PlayStation Classic port of Jazz Jackrabbit that will run on it. Uh, so it's it's kind of become its own little platform of sorts for stuff that you can oh, run. That's interesting. So yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's good stuff. So um, and what else should we put? Should we bring up there? Um, it's like uh, sort of the thing, a checklist of things to pick up with your PlayStation Classic if you decide to get one for the purposes of modding it and packing it up with games. Yeah, because oh. everything needs peripherals. Yeah, you do need peripherals, and this is kind of no exception. Uh, obviously, you need a flash drive. Uh, so I'd recommend a USB 2.0 drive for the power limit. Uh, yeah, did I, I forgot to mention that. The PS Classic has a hardware-enforced power limit. It will not uh, draw more than 5 watts ever. Okay. Uh, which means you're not using uh, USB, most USB 3.0 hard, dri hard drives will just not work on it. Uh, USB 3.0 flash drives, some of them some of them work, some of them are iffy, some of them just don't work at all. Uh, but generally, if you stick to a USB 2.0 flash drive, you'll be good. Uh, I've got a link to a tiny little uh, SanDisk uh, 64 gig one there, but I think they also... That's what I've been it. using for yeah. most of my builds. Yeah, I think they also have 128 ver gig versions as well. Yeah, I think that's 3.0, but it's it's what I'm running in mine, and it works. Yeah, and uh, the next one here is the uh, OTG uh, cable and or adapter. Uh, and this, uh, it's basically a little... Uh, the version I have linked here is a little right-angle adapter that uh, plugs into the uh, micro-USB port. Gives you a full-sized USB-A port and then also a power pass-through for the micro-USB to plug it actually into the wall. Um, I recommend this because it's um, less obtrusive than most of the USB on-the-go cables that I've seen. Most of them like have big, long wires hanging off of them. And yeah. This just seems more elegant. Uh, also, using the USB OTG uh, cable or... Uh, say adapter because it's not really a cable uh using that particular adapter also uh makes the power limit moot because you're running the uh, running whatever peripheral you have plugged into that usb a port on the adapter off of the power supply and not off the playstation classic uh 
So you actually can, if you use that device, use a external hard drive. So if you want to put a whole lot of uh, PlayStation games and whatever, you can stick a two terabyte hard drive and hang it off of there. But then stuff, <laughs> stuff, stuff starts getting a little unwieldy and looking a little not so great. If you start doing yeah. that. So, yeah. Well, then you'd probably run into other power issues. <laughs> Uh, which is why I'm yeah. going to recommend a good power supply. Um, the thing about, uh, like I said, the PlayStation Classic has a hard limit of one amp, five volts. So basically five watts won't go any higher than that. Uh, so most uh, USB charger bricks will work fine for that. Uh, but you probably would want something a little bit more a little bit beefier, like a one and a half amp, two amp, or in the case of the, the one I have here is a two and a half amp uh, power supply for a Raspberry Pi 3. Uh, this is actually what I use on my PlayStation Classic, and it works great. Uh, yeah, use that, and uh, you won't have any power problems because, yeah, you have a lot more power overhead by, by doing it that way. Uh, yeah, that's one thing I'll point out. Hmm. Add to list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, like I said, if you have your USB 3.0 going right now on the OTG adapter and it's working fine, you probably don't need to worry about it. Yeah. Uh, it's if you just want something more stable or you have any intention of getting a Raspberry Pi at some point, then this might be worth getting. Uh, but it's nice. I used it because it's what I had lying around. So <laughs> that, that was what I did. Uh, and finally, I guess if you want to use analog control, um, use a DualShock 3 or DualShock 4. They, they work. Yep. Uh, don't work with Bluetooth unless you use a Bluetooth adapter. Um, Project Eris allows you to do this. Uh, the pr process for getting it in installed is a little bit um, fiddly, but they have documentation on their uh, website on how to, how to do that. Uh, I found that just plugging a USB uh, cable into a DualShock 3 or DualShock 4 works just fine. Um, some people have had problems with uh, second gen uh, PlayStation 4 DualShock 4s. Um, they're saying uh, sometimes they don't work at all. Hmm. Um, so your mileage may actually vary on those. Uh, I use a first gen uh, DualShock 4 and I haven't had any problems. I've tried with a, a DualShock 3 and that worked fine. Uh, I've tried with an Xbox One pad, and that works fine, too. So, okay. yeah, controller support is actually pretty good. Um, you can also use a Bluetooth adapter uh, and uh, do them wirelessly if you prefer that. Abedo actually has uh, adapters for that. Yep. I think it's all the same adapter. But, you know? Yeah. So I think, I think basically their Bluetooth adapter just works on everything. <laughs> yep. So uh, that's... You know, basically all you really need other than, you know, some ROM files. And, well, we kind of discussed last week on how to obtain those. Yep. So, yeah, if you got a library of PlayStation 1 games, I mean, they're, they're easy to uh, rip to a drive. So uh, that's uh, basically all I got there. Yeah, this is actually a really good project for anyone who um, who wants to dip a toe into the waters of these kinds of mods because PlayStation games are so easy to, to convert to a, a digital format. Yeah. And uh, currently they're still quite cheap. Yeah. You yep. know, uh, there's a couple that are, you know, pretty, pretty steep in price. Like 
Black Label Symphony of the Night is still kind of expensive. Uh, Black Label Final Fantasy VII's, but, you know, uh, you don't really need to worry about that one because it's on the damn device. <laughs> so it's there to begin yep. with. So there. So what? let's talk about what systems the the PlayStation Classic currently does well and um, you know where it is on some other systems that maybe aren't quite there yet. Uh, okay. Well, everything up to, well, PlayStation 1, um, obviously, <laughs> it should be pretty up. I, I would hope that the PlayStation Classic would be able to play PlayStation 1 games, but out of the box, yes. uh, we have questions. Not so much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it'll run, uh, you know, NES, SNES, Genesis, Atari. Uh, it'll run Amiga pretty well. Uh, it'll run uh, uh, Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, Master System, Game Gear. Uh, basically, you know, anything up to fourth or fifth gen, you're probably okay. Uh, N64 is hit and miss. Uh, some games will run pretty well. Some games are a little on the slow side, uh, but uh, that's yeah, that's about as far as it gets with uh, the the stock uh, version of Retro Arch. Okay. However, yes. <laughs> <laughs> however, uh, KMFD Manic, who is okay. A genius and a madman. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I've watched some of his his videos on YouTube, and he is he's kind of a goofball. He seems to have a Thanos thing, uh, but he has a genuine passion for this stuff. He's he likes the games that that he that he plays. He genuinely wants to keep them going, and he loves to tinker with this stuff. And that that attitude for me is just infectious. So I kind of like him yep. right there. Uh, and he's so good at it. Yeah. It doesn't hurt that he also happens to be a pretty damn good programmer as well. Uh, so he has some very uh, customized builds of RetroArch. Uh, right now they're up to Extreme Amped because Extreme wasn't good enough. Now it's Amped. Uh, so these versions of RetroArch uh, contain a set of cores that he himself has personally optimized. Uh, this leads to some very, uh, in some cases, some pretty dramatic improvements. Uh, in other cases, uh, he's adding features that the mainline cores don't even have yet. Uh, like in this uh, recent update that he did, uh, the Genesis Plus GX core, he's added the uh, ability to do MSU1. Yeah, it, no, MSU one is the uh, SNES, uh, MD plus rather, uh, CD soundtrack uh, for uh, you know cartridge based games. Uh, so stuff like uh, the CD soundtrack for the cartridge version of Pure Solar will work. Yep. Yeah. Among uh, and uh, you know customized versions of whatever. There's a custom version of Moonwalker that will do that too, and yeah. So there's there's a lot of fun stuff that you can now do with uh, with this particular technology. So he's added that. Uh, he's done cores for Sega Saturn that are so close to actually being properly playable. Uh, depending on the game, it's coming. Yeah, it's it seems it's like yeah some games like you know the 2D stuff like Silhouette Mirage and 
know, a lot of what the Saturn is good at, like the fighting games and stuff, seem to run pretty well. Um, the 3D stuff, yeah, have issues. So <laughs> it's it's coming. It's getting there. You can really see the the progression of it. Um, you know, that particular core hasn't had a whole lot of updates lately, but yeah, that's all right. It's, it looks like it's coming. Um, he's uh, apparently crazy and uh, done a Dreamcast core. Oh my god! And it's good. Yes, <laughs> it's good. It, did you see his playthrough of Soul Calibur on it? Uh, I was kind of, I was very impressed with what I saw. I mean, uh, it's going to depend mm-hmm. a lot on what game that you play. Uh, but like, you know, Soul Calibur worked fine. And I would imagine a lot of the other ones work, would work well as well. Um, I haven't had a chance to actually dig into that particular core, though. And I'm going to grab the uh, my uh, USB drive and load this new update. Try it out. Um He's also mentioned that he's working on uh, DS emulation. That's yep. going to be uh, on there as well. Uh, he's got a drastic core optimization. He's got a uh, optimization to the standalone PPSSPP. He's got a optimization to the RetroArch core that he's been doing. Um, don't know how well those will run. I think perhaps PSP just might be a little too much for this particular. I'm going to find board. out. So your mileage may vary. But <laughs> give it a try and report back. Um, uh, N64 is getting uh, quite playable with uh, with most of the games. Any idea how Wave Race is doing on it? Uh, actually, Wave Race should be one of the ones that actually runs quite well. Excellent. Uh, yeah. So it's for whatever reason, GoldenEye is super hard to emulate. I don't know why. Hmm. Um, that and Conqueror's Bad Fur Day, but that one I can kind of. Uh, understand because it was a late n64 game and well, that was an pack? expansion pack uh, yeah 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 and they were doing a lot of custom stuff too so uh couldn't understand why it would need a little extra horsepower to run so um yeah that's the uh in a nutshell the uh kmft manic cores um check those out you it's, it's a pretty simple download you download it and then just uh, extract it to your USB drive and it in the RetroArch folder and overwrite everything. And uh, then when you uh, start up RetroArch inside of Project Eris, it will look completely different. <laughs> yeah. And that surprised me when I first, um, when I first dove into it. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, uh, now it's an XMB. <laughs> and yeah. This music is actually kind of cool. Um, and it serves a purpose. Yes. Yeah. You, you know what that purpose is? Yeah. It's to make sure that when you exit out of a, a Saturn game in particular, that once the music stops skipping, it's emptied out of the Ram. Yeah. Yeah. So you can load up another game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's also, uh, kind of an indicator how much Ram is being used in general. So if you're browsing the, the UI and you start, hearing that music uh, sl- slow down or stutter, uh, it's a good indication that you really should probably save a state because you might be crashing soon. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, but again, that uh, doesn't seem to happen too often, uh, at least lately. These last few updates have been a little bit more stable. Uh, but it is nice to have like that audible indication that something weird is going on. So, yeah. Hmm. At least when you're on the XMB. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you can still like go back and switch to the the ozone theme if you want to do that, uh, which yeah. I, I prefer that theme anyway because it's less less jarring. And I've always hated XMB anyway. So uh, also fuck Comic Sans. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he did that deliberately to troll everybody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so um, Kayla, you're taking the plunge on these retro minis now. Um, I know you've got your PlayStation on deck. Um, what are your immediate plans for it? Well, I actually haven't gotten it yet. It's supposed to be here on Tuesday. I think my immediate oh. plan for it is basically just to go through what already works, what's in NTSC format, and um. Um, probably in the next couple of weeks or so, start um, start modding it. Cool. Yeah, that's that's a good idea because at least you'll get to see what the status is out of the box and why you'll actually want to mod it uh, quite a bit <laughs> sooner. <laughs> oh my god, uh, it's yeah, the lag. Oh god, the lag. <laughs> Ugh. But yeah. So uh, with that, I think we've got a show. Yeah, um, a little shorter than I was expecting, but oh well. Uh, you weren't here for the holiday gift guide. No. We tore through <laughs> that, man. I wonder if anybody yeah. bought any of them. Hmm. Uh, yeah, you, you can let us know at thegamerswithoutborders at gmail.com. Once again, that is thegamerswithoutborders at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to us at Anchor.fm, Pocket Cast, Spotify, and several other places at this point, as well as support us on Patreon, where you can get early access to unedited episodes, uh, submit ideas for segments that you want us to cover, topics that you want discussed on the show. And with that, I have been Patrick Mifflin alongside Teresa Sammons. Kayla Owen, and Filippo Dinolfo. We will see you next time.